A couple years ago, I was sitting down, uh, taking a break from my job at The Athletic Media Company, and uh, I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing, and I thought, uh, hey, this this could be a partnership because I'm, I'm an ad wizard, and so I put those two things together and Took a couple years, but now I get to read ads for Athletic Brewing and uh, their non-alcoholic beers, and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because I like the product. I like the product for a variety of different reasons. There are times where I'm uh, the designated driver, and that is it's perfect for me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a whole lot. There are also times where I'm not the designated driver, but it's going to be a long day of gabbing. And I don't necessarily need to have 10 IPAs in a row. So I will mix in an athletic, non-alcoholic beer. And I I feel like I don't miss a beat. And it allows me to pace myself uh, the way I want to do it. It's perfect for beach days, music festivals, baseball games, camping, late nights. Uh, They have a ton of different varieties. They have uh, Light. They have Upside uh, Dawn Golden. They have Run Wild IPA. They have a Hazy IPA. They have Summer Seasonals. They've got a a Lemon Rattler, Ripe Pursuit. I don't even know what a Rattler is, but now I want to try it. I feel bad that I haven't tried it. So this summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off. It's near beer, non-alcoholic beer, and it tastes Listen, I grew up with some funky ones. Uh, those didn't taste like beer. This tastes like this. This is good non-alcoholic beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So. The culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on the athletic. Bill Landis joined, as always, with Ari Wasserman. By Ari Wasserman? With Ari Wasserman? By Ari Wasserman. Who are you? Joined by Ari Wasserman. There we go. With Ari Wasserman. I'm with you and joined by you at the same time. We're not in person, though. A lot to get to this week. There's no Ohio State's not playing football, and I feel like there's a million different things we could talk about on this episode. A little bit of news, a little bit more of... uh, Big Ten disarray, I think. Some recruiting stuff we want to get to as well later on in the show. But Ari, first off, I want to kind of call you out here because we've been telling people to leave five-star Apple reviews, and I feel like you rigged the system. Number 400 was supposed to be a person who you visit and wash their car, and we're sitting at 399 and then what did you do? I didn't do anything. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I had a friend uh, antagonize you, but I didn't know going into it that it was going to be um the 400th review so i guess we can do 401 i wasn't trying to rig it away from people i just wanted somebody to make you laugh sorry for trying to bring sunshine into your day dude it's not about me it's about the listeners and your duckling they have dirty cars that need cleaned and you have one of your boys come on and leave a five-star review and now he gets to go get he, he happens to live in los angeles look how convenient for you you get to go out to la and wash <laughs> someone's car you owe the guy five dollars i just thought it was time that you paid up you know yeah he's not getting anything now we're 402 apple five-star reviews last time i checked and since your boy already posted one he can't post one again we're gonna go uh 
We'll go to 450. Want to do 450? Is that is that too ambitious? 415 first, and then we'll go to 415. 415. Okay, but number 415. We'll get a car wash from Ari Wasserman. Please leave your five star reviews. On the thing Apple that's Podcasts. crazy, Bill, is I owe two people a car wash now because you started this car wash thing, and then Andy Staples said it, and then somebody signed up for an Andy Staples store, and he said you get an Ari Wasserman car wash, and that that person tweets at me like once a week saying, "Where's my car wash?" Where is it? Like and and like the thing about it is is like I might get a side hustle here. Like if I do a really good job, should I just start a car detailing business? I, I don't see why not. It seems like five it, star yeah. service. That sounds like a million dollar business idea to me. Yeah, Ari's five star car wash. Yeah, it's not about the talent; it's about the effort. <laughs> Would be my competitor, and my business is it's all talent, and we give little effort, <laughs> and all we right. win. Number four fifteen. Number four fifteen. Or should we make it number four oh nine? For any uh, make it four, let's make it four eleven and then um I'll actually we'll come up with something that we could actually do that's special. Um and if somebody in my area of the country actually wins, then maybe like one day I'll be inclined to actually do that. Wouldn't that be funny if I'd actually showed up? Yeah, and you can record it and then uh Yeah, I'd watch that. I don't mm. think you'd do it though. Maybe. All right, let's talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, a little bit of news at the top before we talk about the Big Ten, uh, and it's a serious thing. Haskell Garrett, I think most people listening by now know, uh, Haskell Garrett was injured in a shooting, and it's a crazy story, on early Sunday morning, 12.30 in the morning um, on Sunday, so just after Saturday night. Uh, I did obtain a police report from what happened, and the, the story that we know to this point is that Haskell was walking home. He encountered a man and a woman having a fight. Uh, an argument he tried to break it up the man pulled a gun on haskell and fired one shot at him and it hit him in the face and it went uh as police said through and through his cheeks on his face was taken to the hospital was released monday still investigating it's a crazy story um it's remarkable that 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 would happen to somebody obviously haskell's very lucky um and, and we hope he has a speedy recovery and uh, ryan day put out a statement on monday sort of thanking the, the people at OSU Met, what, uh, Medical Center for, for the care that Haskell was receiving. So it sounds like he's going to be okay. What else comes of this, I'm not sure. I've been in touch with the Columbus police, and they're still investigating. Like I said, there's really even no information on a suspect as we record this on Tuesday morning. Um, but I think what's most important at the moment is that it sounds like Haskell is going to be okay from this, which is, like I said, remarkable. Yeah, that was a crazy story, and watching it develop was even crazier. Um, and I just... I'm happy he's okay. I mean, that's just a really uncomfortable story. And to hear that, you know, he got discharged from the hospital as quickly as he did was was a blessing to hear and, you know, hope for his ongoing recovery. Shall we roast the Big Ten now? Yeah, let's uh, – I mean, as, as we're doing this podcast, Bill, CBS just released all the games that they're picking up for the SEC. I don't know if you saw that or not. Or you're too busy hosting. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, like in forgetting Sarah Marshall. So this is actually happening as he walks <laughs> to the table. <laughs> like it's happening. Like I was. Like I mean, I guess there's still a few weeks to go before I was officially wrong. But I think I'm officially wrong. Like I think they're actually going to do it. Yeah, I'm wrong too. Uh, and I think yeah, we both said I believe that we didn't think they were going to do it. I think they're going to play. And whether or not they can finish, I, I mean, I have no idea. I hope I hope they can finish. Um, 
if they're going to put all this work to get a season going, I hope it goes off without a hitch and, and they can figure out a way to do it. Still a month until the SEC starts, but there are games this weekend. Um, I was happy I was able to – do you ever go to lsufootball.net and look at the TV schedule there? It has every – it's like a website from the mid-90s that just lists kickoff times for every college football game. It's like not the official LSU website, but – it's perfect if you want to go on and see what games are on which channels. So there's the first FBS game is Thursday night, South Alabama against Southern Miss. And then there's a handful of games on Saturday. And then BYU and Navy play on Monday. And then things could go in the following week with some some ACC games. And uh, it's coming. Like We're, we're, we're a, a few days removed from the official start of the season. We're a week removed from, from Power 5 conferences um, playing football. And meanwhile, the Big Ten is sidelined and... and some more has come out about that decision to do it. Uh, we have a story on The Athletic. Nicole Auerbeck wrote on Monday about a, a little bit more clarity on the vote from the Big Ten, sort of stemming from this lawsuit by the eight Nebraska football players, trying to to get some more information out of the league. And, and in a sworn affidavit signed by Kevin Warren and signed by the uh, chair, chairman of the Council of Big Ten Presidents, they say that the vote was 11-3. to 3 to postpone the fall season that met the threshold in their bylaws of 60% to postpone the season. The three that did not vote in favor of postponing the season, I think are no surprise to anybody. It's Ohio state, Nebraska and Iowa. And I don't know, Ari, like it doesn't, I don't feel like this changes much. I don't know if this makes anybody less angry than they were 24 hours ago before we knew this information, but it, makes me a little hopeful maybe that we'll start to get a little more transparency from the Big Ten on this, but I just don't like – I wasn't sure how to absorb that information on Monday. Yeah, I really wasn't either, Bill, because the information was what we already knew, I thought. Um, and the point that you made um, about just transparency, I think, is a takeaway here, and you're correct about that. I uh, I think that when you start going down this rabbit hole again, it just brings up all the emotion that we're trying to move past. <laughs> um, and it just like – it really sucks. And, you know, as college football actually is being played, like the outrage, I think, is now going to get worse because even um, like a week ago or two weeks ago when we were doing this podcast and people were really upset, there was also um, anger that was tempered by the fact that, well, maybe the other teams actually won't play. Now that they're actually starting to play, and by the way, this website I've never heard of is the most amazing website I've ever had, and it's in my bookmarks already. (laughs) It's like I'm looking at it like I didn't watch the Austin P game. I don't know if you did or not. I I had a date night. I watched the first half. I watched the first half and fell asleep because I'm an old man. But I'm looking at the schedule now that you sent me, and it's just like I want to watch SMU play Texas State and like BYU play Navy on Monday. Like these games are happening. Miami is playing on Thursday. Next Thursday. Next week. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, I think that this is like, I'm wrong. I didn't think there was any, I wrote a story two and a half weeks ago saying that there was too much, you know, um, difference in the recruiting calendars. Like, how could you have two different seasons? I, I didn't, it, nothing of made sense and they're just doing it. And it's just like, it's weird. It's very but, strange. Um, and I don't like. I feel like I should be more surprised than I am. I, I guess. I guess I'm not. Even though my guess initially was was obviously wrong on what was going to happen. Um, I'm still very curious about like how Ohio State fans feel about about this. I think we know how they feel about the Big Ten's decision to not play. That, that's obvious. And there were 
I would say about 200 Ohio State fans outside of Ohio Stadium um, on Saturday where parents held a rally, maybe like 25 to 30 parents and at least 100, 150 Ohio State fans were there. Um, and, and obviously that's indicative, I think, of how most of the fan base is feeling. And, and we still want to hear from you guys too. We're, we're compiling a list of listeners to come on the show and tell us how you're feeling about all this, including the fact that college football like is starting and moving forward without Ohio State playing. So keep sending me DMs and emails and we'll get that list together and hopefully next week we can get some of you guys on the show to talk about that. But um, this is happening. The season is starting. And then like last week, <laughs> it starts to get leaked that the Big Ten is considering playing like right after Thanksgiving, which to me, it almost feels like of all the things they could do, short of not playing at all in 2020 or 2021, the worst thing they could do was like try to play right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, and... I went crazy on Twitter last week um, about it, and not so crazy, but I thought I had a a tempered rant about it, just like there are two options here. You go all in in January, and you make your your fall, or I mean your spring, winter season, whatever you want to call it, and try to get two in and then get back on the schedule next fall, or you come out and say, listen, this is the wrong call. We um, misjudged what the backlash would be like if the players and the families feel this strongly about playing, then then we'll give them what they want after the initial decision was trying to protect them, but if they feel like this is something that they want to do, then we can change our decision and just start now. Get fall camp back. Every single Big Ten team would be equipped um, to do that um, and then get going. And I think people would be more respectful of the we were wrong take and starting now rather than the we're going to die on this hill thing. So, like, again, Iowa just suspended all of its workouts because they had an outbreak. And, like, this is still an issue, but nothing at all is solved by starting in, th- in, in November. Those issues now are still going to be there. Obviously, two months or two and a half months, there can be advancements in testing and potentially more headway on a vaccine and all the things that, you know, are necessary for us to move on as a country. But I don't think anybody thinks that announcing a schedule in November right now or in the next week or two is a prudent move in any way. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, were they going to be in week five during the playoff? Like, yeah. is that what's going to happen? And, like, I tweeted at that, and then I, the one thing that, and I think that this might be the direction of the conversation, so um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I tweeted, wouldn't everybody rather just push it back to Thanksgiving and start at the same time, push the playoff back, push the draft back a month, and just, like, everybody get back on the same page? And then Andy Staples, the lovely Andy Staples, retweeted it into his SEC sphere. And I was at the bottom. Did you go look at the mentions? <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I was at the bottom. Well, I mean, I was at the bottom of a, um avalanche of SEC mentions that basically said, hell no. And, like, I would say there were probably 5,000 responses that said no and 4,950 were no. And, like, only 50 were like, yeah, that would be great. And, like, again, you sent me a, a tweet reply saying you should get assumed we'd all agree or what was the other one? Uh, I assumed we'd all agree or uh, um, something. The other one was Or jump the similar. gun or something. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm Tattooed on my body. I'm going to look it up because I thought it was funny. It just, like, I understand the idea 
that SEC fans feel like the Big Ten went out rogue and did what they did on their own, and there's no way that they're going to acquiesce to what the Big Ten is doing to get everybody back on the same schedule. And I agree with the sentiment that they shouldn't. I understand. But it's not about doing it for the Big Ten. It's about doing it for college football. And I think everybody, including Alabama and LSU fans, would agree that the season is better when it's whole, right? Just in a vacuum, college football season's better when everybody's playing rather than when only some are playing. Yes or no? Yeah. Yes. So I just thought, given the year we've all just had, it would be a lovely thought process to say, hey, why don't we all get together on the same page and actually like get our season back? And SEC fans were like, you guys went rogue. Go worry about it yourself. We're playing. Forget you. And like that was like, should have been the obvious thought in my brain of like how they were going to react, but I still don't know if they actually like understand what I'm trying to say. Um, it's not about do what the Big Ten wants you to do. It's about do... Wouldn't it be great if we all could just get back on the same schedule and like attack this together so there isn't all these like weird ancillary questions as a result of it? It's like I'm looking at LSU and Georgia on this schedule right now on LSUfootball.net. Which also, by the way, is after the Masters that day, which is going to be the greatest day in the history of sports. And like the LSU Georgia, I mean the LSU Alabama game, is that what it is? LSU Alabama. Yeah, LSU Alabama. Yeah, is one of the best sporting events of the year, no matter what. It's not as exciting this year as it would have been last year. To me, I don't think that it's it. It, it doesn't have the same weight to me and to a large portion of college football fans who don't have their teams available to play this year, it means less. Well, there's in the conference where yeah. it just means more, mm-hmm. you would think that people wouldn't just be like riding around yelling, yee-haw, SEC. They might actually care about like beating everybody that could potentially stand in their way, getting on the same page, winning a legitimate national championship. And if it means waiting a month or six weeks more um, to do it, while also giving yourself another six-week window to get on top of this thing, which we're trying to do. I don't see who loses here. If it's just a pride thing, then take your pride and shove it. I don't care about pride. That's not what we're doing here. We're talking about what the best, most functional way to play college football this year is, and the best, most functional way to do it is to do it as a whole. And that doesn't seem like it's going to happen right now at all. I'm not saying it will, but like the idea that it wouldn't be the best way is just if you don't think though, if you don't think that, then get out of here. Like I don't know what you're th- – it's not better fragmented. It's just not. The thing that I tweeted at you were uh, was uh, I'm trying to figure out if you should get I just thought we would all agree or it turns out that was a terrible assumption tattooed on your body. Yeah, I made a terrible assumption that SEC fans would want to play on the same schedule as everybody else because I underestimated that the viewpoint that the only thing that matters to SEC fans is the SEC. And like – the SEC is the best conference in college football. They've got the most talent. They figure into the national championship. And all the things that people were hurling at me for the past week were true. I get that. And the SEC could play a very entertaining SEC schedule. And maybe the best team in the country would come out of that. I don't think that it's the best for the SEC fans or the best experience that they can have if they don't have to beat the best teams from every other conference to get to the national championship. I think it's more exciting collectively when this is geography. College football is a sport that has to do with where you're from and where you're connected to. And I get that the SEC has their South. But, like, 
when Ohio State plays Clemson or when Ohio State plays Alabama, it's south versus north. And, like, that's the best, most pure thing sports are. It's geography. And if you just want to go play the sport by yourself down in the SEC and forget everybody else, that's fine. But don't tell me that it's a better product because it's not. I don't know if anyone thinks it's a better product. And I think, like, your idea makes sense. It's just that, like, its application in the most regionalized tribal sport that's ever existed it just, like, was never going to happen. And I don't think um, – I, I, I would think that – maybe you can't think this way if you're, like, a, a big SEC fan or an ACC fan or whatever. But I think if you're a casual observer of college football or certainly if you're a fan of the leagues that aren't playing this fall, of course you would agree that the championship is more pure if everybody is playing. If anything can be pure in college football, which maybe is impossible. Purer. Purer. Um, more pure. I don't. I don't think that anyone who disagreed with what you were saying or thought what you're saying was was silly thinks that this is better. But when the Big Ten first makes the decision to go conference only without really consulting anybody and just like doing it on its own, and then I think there there's a strong sentiment that the Big Ten also made this decision to not play this fall, thinking that other leagues would fall in line, and then that didn't happen. Like there is there is a an air of arrogance I think around all of this on the side of the Big Ten, and that's not to say that what they said said was right or wrong, but I think the way they handled it was done so in a way to make them seem better than. And when you act that way, you're not going to get any sympathy. You're not going to get any empathy from the leagues that are moving forward. So I kind of understand why SEC fans would feel that way. I agree with you that I'd rather see a a whole college football season and a real national champion, which is why what I said last week, if Ohio State plays in the spring and goes undefeated and someone wants to name them national champion, they should own that because this is total dysfunction. Um, but I'm not going to tell SEC fans they're wrong for for not wanting to help the Big Ten out if the Big Ten was even willing to admit it made a mistake in the first place. Yeah, and I don't think that this – when I tweeted this initial tweet, and i got to go find it, but when I tweeted the initial thought, there was a 0% thought process involved when it came to let's work with the Big Ten. I didn't even – it didn't even cross my mind. That was my thought of – um, what it would be like if things were just the best. And, like, wouldn't it just be the best? And if it's the best, isn't that what everybody would want? And, like, that's kind of, like, where like how I got to that point. And clearly they don't. I think it's, like, funny because I thought if you asked a random Alabama fan, would you rather play a season where Ohio State plays or would you rather play a season where it's SEC, Big 12, and ACC, and that's it? I thought that 100% of them would be like, of course we'd rather play with the Big Ten than Ohio State. But it turns out the answer is we don't give a crap. And if that's the case, then that's fine. I don't know. Maybe I just like view the sport differently. But in order for Ohio State to play in thanks, during Thanksgiving, the whole thing is that the Big Ten would have to at least admit wrongdoing or at least go towards kind of trying to salvage the decision that they made. And, like, the real problem here is that in the world, whether we're talking about college football or not, there's no such thing as middle ground anymore. So if the Big Ten said, hey, you know what, we want to start at the end of October or early November or Thanksgiving, we messed up by canceling the season, shouldn't have done that. Can the other conferences meet us halfway, give six more weeks of um, learning how to deal with this, learn more from the NFL, and potentially have more effective testing Um, abilities in six weeks and like let's get the season on track in two months from now and everybody can collectively go through fall camp and do that stuff like I think that like if the response in the SEC or in the south was 
yeah, that would be great and it would be wonderful for everybody. Let's work together and get this done. Then maybe we wouldn't even be in the situation that we're in to begin with. But that's an impossible thought process these days. And, you know, it's like SEC versus the world. And, like, I get that. They, right now, as things stand, were the brave ones where it just meant more and they care more about football or whatever it is that you want to say. And things look great right now. But where's the idea of this was the worst year ever? What can we do collectively as a country, as a sport, as administrators in the sport, as athletes to get everybody back on the same page to not only deliver the best product, but to have the safest, probably best version of the season that we can have after this disaster? And that's it. It's a very um, admirable worldview that is uh, totally unrealistic. <laughs> No, let me just read the initial tweet so people know what I'm saying. Wouldn't the SEC, ACC, Big 12 fans rather start a few weeks later and get back on the same page with the Big 10 and presumably the Pac-12? One season starting around Thanksgiving, push back the college football playoff, make recruiting calendar all in sync, and let's go. All of us get that college football back together. And then I've got 1.1 thousand responses of no and gifs that say no. So, okay, the answer is no. Yeah. Well, the other part of that, too, is that, like, the, the Pac-12, there. I think Stuart Mandel said this the other day, like, the teams in California, like, aren't even allowed to practice yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with the Pac-12 because there's, there's like, a different situation happening out there with, with I guess, like, reaction to how to handle um, the coronavirus that, that has all those programs in a different position, I think, for the most part, than, than the rest of the country. So I don't even know if they're going to be able to play in, in, in the winter. So I, I think the idea of getting everybody back on the same page is, is nearly impossible. And I, the other thing I wonder, too, is would would SEC fans, ACC fans, Big 12 fans, like be more on board with your idea if we weren't already in a position where like guys are opting out like this, these teams aren't what we are are already not what we thought they were going to be. Like Jamar chase isn't playing at LSU. Kennedy Brooks isn't playing at Oklahoma. And if, if those teams were intact, if those teams were whole and the teams you wanted them to sort of link up with were whole, would they feel differently about it? I, I don't know. But, but at the moment, like everything, everything's fragmented across the country. Everything's like fragmented within programs because a lot of teams, best players are, or, or at least a handful of the best teams in the country's best players aren't playing. And as I'm looking at this LSU schedule website that I'm going to stare at for the rest of my life, we're already past the point of no return. Teams have been practicing. Their games are coming up here soon. Um, we have a whole slate of college football in the ACC in, what, 12 days? The ACC starts Like, I don't think it's possible to do that anymore. So, you know, that's a whole other discussion. But, like, to me, the product is far worse without everybody. It's far less entertaining. It's hard to watch the LSU-Alabama game and think, I cannot wait to see who wins this game because I can't wait to see who the best team in the country is. And I can't wait to see how the best team in the SEC stacks up against the best team in the Pac-12 or the ACC. Like, that's the fun. If the fun is just SEC championship, then, you know, maybe there's a one quarter of the country that, like, views it as the only thing that matters, and that's their prerogative. But, like, there's a whole big country out there that doesn't like this as much as it would be other way, the other way. Yeah, but I also think there are people like what you're talking about, like stacking up best against the best matters for like 10 teams. Um, I do think there are people who just love college football and 
can sort of live in a bubble of this of just the game happening in front of them and not not think about the larger implications nationally i think maybe for the casual fan that's not true but i think for the diehard like there are there are a lot of fans of the teams that are playing right now who don't care if the big Ten's playing because it doesn't impact it wouldn't impact their season anyway if maybe for alabama and your lsu and your clemson and your oklahoma and your texas yeah you yeah. might think about that but like if you're a diehard North Carolina fan, fan and you're just super excited fan. about what Mac Brown's building. You don't give a shit that Ohio State's not playing. If I'm a diehard North Carolina fan and my team is 9-0, and I give a shit. Yeah, if you get there, of course. If you end I know, up I know but that's the entire do. reason why people are excited to watch North Carolina this year, to see if they can do that. To see if they built a team that's good enough to compete nationally. Yeah, but that and happens. I, that happens first within your own conference. Like, why why you would worry about how they stack up potentially against Ohio State before you get to that point doesn't make any sense to me. No, no, I know, but I'm saying that if and when it gets to that point, it's going to suck. And like maybe North Carolina sure. fans will be fulfilled by playing Alabama and potentially losing to Alabama, and then they get their answer. Like, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, I don't know that Georgia Tech fans are like bemoaning the fact that Michigan and Penn State aren't playing. Like, I get it. I get what you're saying. I think that a large what is it, 95% of college football don't have a chance to win a national championship. But, mm-hmm. like, I also don't want to know – Like, I also, like, want to know, doesn't the fourth-place team in the ACC want to know how they stack up against the fourth-place team in the Pac-12? Like, isn't that like – I don't think so. You, you don't do you think, think that, that conferences? I do, yeah. I think that, like, every single bowl season, all I see are tweets of tallies of, like, records from conferences. Why yeah. do you think that is? I don't know, because it's the only thing to talk about. I don't. I don't know – I guess no, I think I, people care about how conferences do in the bowl season against other geographical conferences. I think that's yeah, a major thing that yeah, people Yeah, so care do about. I, but I don't I don't know if I mean that's not nearly enough motivation to like care whether or not the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are playing in my opinion. Yeah, I mean I'm not saying that every single college football fan in America is going to hate the season because Ohio State's not playing. But the number one thing in the number one money drive, driver in the sport is what? The college football show, playoff show every Thursday, the big matchups nationally, um, and of course the playoff games, and that product is diminished. And you're taking one of the most powerful, large viewing markets in America and making it completely irrelevant to their viewing purposes. And like, I wonder, like, if X number of play- people in Columbus, Ohio, would watch Ohio State beat Iowa or something at noon on the Saturday that LSU and Alabama play and like get excited, order some pies and like what you and I used to do all the time, which is what cover the Ohio state game. Let's get together. Let's grab a few beers and like, what get some wings and let's watch, let's watch this game. Cause this was like the game of the week. I wonder how many people in the Columbus, Ohio market are going to want to watch that game. Now, do you think it's going to be 80%, 70%? I think uh, we, <laughs> Sorry, I I have to admit to you that I wasn't listening to what you just said for the last 30 seconds because um, Donald Trump, four minutes ago, as we're recording this, tweeted, had a very productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting up Big Ten football. Would be great for everyone, players, fans, country, on the one-yard line. So this is where we're at with the Big Ten. (laughs) Everything I just said is completely irrelevant to this one tweet. (laughs) This is, uh, I don't know anything about this. What do you so take I'm, that? I'm reading, this is a story uh, from Austin Ward on Letterman Row. Um, sources with direct knowledge of the situation confirmed that government officials reached out to Commissioner Kevin Warren on Monday night to set up a call designed to see if there was anything President Trump could do to help the league resume the postponed fall season. Should we just cancel the podcast and start over? Like, <laughs> I'm like I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> 
I mean, if Donald Trump thought it was productive. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to analyze that. I don't know how to. I mean, it's 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 just another bizarre turn in the. I, I mean, I, I, I have no idea. For now, I'm going to assume that the Big Ten is still not playing this fall. But who the hell knows what's going to happen if the president's calling the commissioner of the Big Ten and telling them to play football this fall? Yeah. Well, what I just said was that I think people in Columbus, Ohio, are less likely to want to watch the LSU Alabama game. Um, than they would have before and like what are we guessing like 60 70 percent will still watch in the columbus ohio market i'm fascinated to see those numbers yeah yeah but if donald trump wants to get on the horn and get ohio state back to playing then i mean i don't know like ohio is i don't know anything about politics so like stop me if i'm like talking like an idiot but is ohio state uh, is ohio a swing state yeah so if he gets ohio state back on the field is that like like a political stunt like what how do we view that yeah, I think uh, people care enough about college football that uh, you can get elected <laughs> by, by saving the college football season for sure. I mean, how many people would vote for Trump that wouldn't otherwise vote for Trump if the one thing in his campaign was getting Ohio State football back? Yes. Well, they say you should vote on issues and not along party lines. So if your issue is college football, then what are you supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the the truth of the matter is is that he's probably just pandering to midwestern voters with a tweet to saying that he tried to save the conference but you know i don't know again i don't know anything about politics so we can yeah get back to college football let's let's just like i said assume for the moment that the big 10 is not going to play this fall and and <laughs> can we foia somebody to get the transcript of that conversation because i would like walk into traffic to read that yeah yeah so would i so would i I should add it to my. Oh, you can't. You can't FOIA the Big Ten. I don't think you can FOIA the White House. Um, <laughs> Get Matt Brown on the horn. See yeah. if you can. FOIA. Hold Extra on. Points. Gonna... We need your help. You tweet at him. Can you FOIA yeah. the White House? Um, the one thing with the the Big Ten like floated Thanksgiving idea is that starting at a time will like would give you a natural bubble. Because a lot of these universities like set up their fall calendar to send everybody home in November, and a lot of them aren't bringing them back until like the middle of January, like later than they normally would. So there's a window there with like nobody on campus to try to play college football season, and I accept, suppose I get that motivation for doing it that way. But otherwise, to me, it makes no sense. Like I don't, if you can play at the end of November, why can't you play in October? Yeah, and it's just like how many weeks difference do you think that you could have between the start of the uh, the SEC season and the start of a hypothetical Big Ten season, like? How much lag time do you think you could have if you put um, the college football playoff all for the same teams? Like three weeks, two weeks. Like how much difference? You mean from the end of your year to when you would play the playoff? If you run the beginning of the the beginning of the SEC schedule and the beginning of the S in the of the Big Ten hypothetical schedule, how many weeks in between lag times can there be if you all wanted them to play in the same playoff? The, realistically, two weeks or three weeks? I think you could stretch it to three. But two seems more realistic. Three weeks is a long time off. Yeah. You know, I just remember, like, Ohio State used to – didn't they wait six weeks between the Michigan game and the national championship game in 06? Yes. Like, teams have like, waited around six weeks to play before. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But, like, in the, in the if the Big Ten is going to do it, then do it so that the season's intact. Like I th- the worst thing that you could do is to start in the middle of the year and still not make the playoff. It, it, it's almost worse than not playing. 
if Ohio State goes nine and zero and they win their ninth game the same afternoon as like Alabama beating Clemson in the first round of the playoff, like is that going to be awesome? That'd be like the worst thing in the world. I, I wouldn't even want to watch that. Yeah. No, neither. It makes it. it I I have wanted to embrace the January model. It would be harder to much harder to embrace the Thanksgiving model. Yeah, and I don't even know like the motivation would be like it's farther removed from NFL draft prep time. So those guys like I feel like you give those guys less incentive to play if you're playing in November and you're playing Illinois on December 23rd while Alabama and Clemson are getting ready to play in the Sugar Bowl, whatever wherever the playoff is this year. Yeah, what's the plan? Start Thanksgiving and. The other plan, too, is that, like, based on what you were saying with the Pac-12, or the other issue with that plan, is that the Pac-12 doesn't seem like they'd be equipped to even start on Thanksgiving right now. Yeah. So, like, what is Ohio State and the Big Ten going to just play their own season and do what the SEC is doing and then, like, crown a Big Ten champion? And then that's it? They wouldn't even have a Rose Bowl. Yeah, I think think one thing that's been tossed around a little bit is the idea that you'd play the Big Ten championship at the Rose Bowl. Put Ohio State, Michigan, and Pasadena. Scrap the vision so Ohio State, Michigan play in Pasadena for the Big Ten Championship. I'd watch that. I mean, it would probably be Ohio State and Wisconsin playing for the Big Ten Championship. No, I said if you scrap oh, the scrap the divisions. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, like the ACC is doing. Then they could play them know. twice in a row. They could, yeah. That'd be cool. I guess this Trump thing really thing. threw me for a loop, man. <laughs> Uh, my head is spinning right now. Um, Matt Brown just responded. I guess I have some paperwork here to do in a few minutes. <laughs> I like the people that are at the end of his tweet says we're on the one yard line, and some people are responding like, "Which one?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So that's something. That's something to monitor, I guess. Um, what's going to come of this? I have no idea. And you have, uh, I'm not going to. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> what I can start like. Uh, Conversing directly with the uh, president of the United States about the likelihood of Big Ten football happening in the fall. I mean, he's got more power than I do. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else on this Big Ten thing, or should we move on to something that doesn't involve the president talking with Kevin Warren? Landis, I don't know how people are going to receive this podcast, but I feel like like my head is swimming right now. Like, yeah, are we like I, have we have we been like just talking in circles, or like was that like coherent? I have no idea. I truly if John, no our producer, I hope that you can make this sound I've never good. I've been more distracted by a tweet in my life. I, I was wa- like, we're on Zoom, guys, and like I can see Bill, and like I was on my rant about how many people, um, how many people in the Big Ten country would watch the big SEC game, and you're like looking at your computer, like you just like saw your entire stock portfolio crash. Like, I've never seen you so distracted in my life. And I'm like, is he listening to me? Like, what's going on over there? It was like that scene in uh, in the beginning of Jurassic Park where they get there and they see the brontosaurus for the first time. And the guy takes his glasses off and he, like, fumbles them. Yeah, he, he fumbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Hayes, our producer, said, it's good. Keep going. So, go ahead. Let's steer us to some, some conversation that uh, might be coherent. Well, uh, we want to get to recruiting uh, later on in this episode, but... Speaking of John Hayes, he, he posed a good question to us that I think is a little interesting and, and something maybe we'll, we'll dive into a little more when we get some listeners on the show uh, in the coming weeks. But the idea of the, the college football season is starting this week in, in earnest. There was the, the Central Arkansas-Austin P game on Saturday night, like you said. I watched a little bit of it. Um, but FBS starts this week. And John 
throughout the question like who are like teams ohio state fans should like adopt this season and i'm not totally sure if ohio state fans are interested in adopting anybody but if they were like i don't know cincinnati is the obvious one i guess right the, the most obvious one outside of that i don't know there are other teams that you think ohio state fans should try to adopt this year this fall how do ohio state fans feel about tom herman uh, probably not real good would be my guess based on the, uh, the happenings of 2018. I know, but is he separated enough from that? I would think not. Um, it's an interesting position cause like he was the offensive coordinator for the national title team. He did really good work with Cardell Jones and without that they don't win. Um, but I think we all know the storylines. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, I know. I just in, like in 2018. So I don't know. It I don't know. All I know is that Herman, Texas is a fun team to follow i don't know that an ohio state fan would ever be sitting at home rooting for texas but yeah. like tom herman is a urban meyer disciple that helped ohio state win a national championship and like has a very crucial season and i think that like the university of texas has one of the more interesting storylines that there there are right now in college football like he's like fighting for his job probably and it's like will texas make the playoff or will they lose six games and i like every year i think like what is texas going to look like this year is always one of the more fascinating storylines and if you like want to buy into something, then buy into it. But like, I think it'd be easier for an Ohio State fan to buy into some team in the Big Twelve that is kind of like Ohio State in some ways, than rooting for a team in their own state while resenting the fact that they're playing ninety minutes away from their own stadium. Like, I don't know. Like, I know it's easy to root for Luke Fickle, Buckeye through and through. You guys know his resume. I don't have to tell you something, but I think people resent Cincinnati right now. I don't know if they resent Cincinnati. They resent not, the fact that Cincinnati is playing in Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, but they don't time. resent. Yeah. They don't resent. Yeah, they don't resent Cincinnati. Um, Texas interests me because they have Chris Ash now, and I'm curious, like, if he can sort of resurrect his career after his disaster at Rutgers, which I guess was a losing proposition the day he signed his contract, but he got paid a lot of money to do it anyway. But he's a DC at Texas now, and like Tom Herman fired Todd Orlando as his DC and that was like a pretty close personal relationship I think like he did the thing that I think some fans here wish like Urban Meyer would have done at times maybe he did it too slowly but it's like fire the guy you have a personal relationship with because it's better for your team and uh they're bringing in Chris Ash who I still think is a good defensive coordinator and they have talent at Texas I'm very curious to see what he does there very curious to watch Boston College like Jalen Gill I think could be fun to watch this year um it seems like maybe he's like the most talented guy or they have on offense, or at least they don't have a guy like him in their offense and how much he's featured is, is very interesting to me. Um, I'm going to watch every single Miami game that I can to see if Tate Martell gets on the field. So I'm interested by some of these things. I don't know if Ohio State fans care though. Yeah, I know you, uh, there was no way we we're getting through this podcast without the name Tate Martell. I laughed the other day, by the way, when I tweeted about Tate Martell and you said, Hey dude, get your own thing. Yeah, what was that about? I'm just trying to be like you, Bill. It's not a bad plan. You're not the first person on earth that is entertained by the idea of watching Tate Martell play football. When we were at the Fiesta Bowl and Tate Martell came into the game and the bowl game Miami was playing, like, didn't I? We both ran to. The, were we doing a podcast? We were in your in your hotel suite at the Fiesta Bowl doing a podcast, and Tate Martell came in. I think we hit pause, stood up, and watched his drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's right. There was I'm a time still, where that person was the quarterback of the future for Ohio State. 
And Urban Meyer made decisions in season to make him happy to make sure that that future didn't leave. Like, that's a real thing that happened at Ohio State. <laughs> Remember when uh, Ohio State in 2018 had its uh, first first-round draft pick at quarterback in 30 years, and the plan was to bring in the five foot eight guy to run <laughs> place in the red zone, and it didn't work at all? <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the red zone thing. They did it with JT Barrett six years ago, and it didn't work. Did it work then? No, it kind of worked with JT, but then it, like JT just because he's a fullback. Yeah, yeah, he's a fullback. That's exactly right. Like he Tate Martell's not a fullback. Tate Martell's a scat back. <laughs> I um I thought he would transfer one more time. Uh yeah, I thought he might too. I guess he's just like accepted that he's not a quarterback because he's clearly not going to be a quarterback in Miami. I still think he can do it. Like, I don't think he can win you a national championship at quarterback, and I don't think he's a Power 5 quarterback. But, I mean, if I were UNLV, I'd one of the – That's what I'm saying. Would you rather be a the ninth receiver on Miami's roster, or would you rather be the starting quarterback in the Mountain West? I don't know. Miami's pretty nice. Coral Gables isn't uh, South Beach, but, yeah, I know. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's having any hard time getting down to the beach, but, like, I – think if you're a quarterback I'd rather be the starting quarterback at UNLV in Las Vegas than be an afterthought at Miami and it's not even like they're playing for national championships anyway so like what do you you want to be the afterthought at the fifth best program in the SEC right or ACC right now or do you want to go be the starting quarterback and play in the most beautiful conference footprint in America yeah and live, I, and I live, and live in Vegas I'd rather be the quarterback for sure it this it's it's sad and it, I mean it, like I know I like tweet a lot of funny things about Tate Martell like I was genuinely excited to watch him play quarterback and it bums me out a little bit that he never really got that chance. Um, not to say that he should have played over anybody at Ohio State. I'm not saying that, but um, I just don't know when it went from like five star quarterback and future of the program to like can't even play. When uh, the guy making the quarterback decisions decided that throwing the ball was important. <laughs> I know, but like if you go read all the stuff about Tate Martell's, like he was like a throw first guy, like in seventh and eighth grade. Like that's when Sarkeesian like offered him and stuff. Like it's not like he had a did he have a dud arm? Or is it just not as good as Dwayne Haskins, the guy who could throw a ball through a brick wall? Like I mean like I I don't think he I don't think he had a particularly accurate arm and uh he's also probably the same size now as he was in seventh and eighth grade. (laughs) Yeah. I mean I, I uh I don't know. The kid can run. He's kind of an exciting player. I feel he's like got a little. I think he's got a little bit of a little bit of it to him too. I like that guy. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and like he didn't look terrible when he came in to Ohio State games. I know at times he was. He playing. threw an incredible ball to C.J. Saunders in that Rutgers game, and I think it was twenty. It must have been twenty eighteen. Um, just an absolute dime. To Did he go Saunders. like eleven for twelve in that game or something? Yeah, he was really good. He had that long touchdown run. Um, I thought that the action that he got as a backup quarterback at Ohio State, he looked okay. He was it was abysmal when they bought him in to play red zone, but like when he was just like running with the twos and blowout games, and granted it's the twos, but I thought he looked decent. I thought there was enough there. There was enough there to like pique my interest, but we don't get to see practice. We don't get to see him running with the ones, and clearly he's not up to snuff as a passer, at least not in the way that Ryan Day would want him to be. Are we putting Tate Martell in the title of this, of this podcast? Or Donald I don't know Trump? how we ended up talking about Tate Martell for five minutes, but... My head's still spinning from that Trump tweet. So I mean, Tate Martell was the number one subject matter that we could have written about at any point when we were on the clicks model. If you put his name in the headline, you're going to the moon. People still care about him. 
Yeah, I don't know we if they were, still care about them, but like they cared more about Tate Martell than any other player. They cared at the time. We were dropping YouTube videos. We were getting 50,000 views talking about Tate Martell when he was like the, the fourth-string quarterback. The five most clickbait, not clickbait, but click-worthy headline names. Clickable. Clickable names. Number one was Tate Martell. Number two was Torrance Gibson. Yep. And I'm trying to think of like number three, I think, might be Braxton Miller, like yep. during the time when he was changing positions and all that stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Do guys who didn't come to Ohio State count, but like were in the Ohio State atmosphere for a while, like Richard LeCount? Richard LeCount was a good one. I mean, recruiting headlines, but like I'm trying to think of like um, Ezekiel Elliott was another one. I think Elliott, before he became a starter, was a good one. Yeah. Demario. Who are the, who are the number one? Yeah, Demario McCall's a good one. Just so you guys know, Bill and I at times like do a roster draft of who gets to write about who, because we know what drives and moves the needle. And like Tate Martell, I think was the unquestionable number one in that category. But I think that you wanted to rant about something, Bill. So do you want to change the subject now? Yeah, we'll wrap up with this, and we're gonna do. Uh, I think from this point forward, obviously there are no games happening unless the president just say the football season. But for now, we're going to assume they're not happening. Uh, we still want to talk. make sure we talk about recruiting on every episode, and we'll have episodes dedicated solely to recruiting at times, for sure. But in those episodes where we don't, Mark Pantone just retweeted the president with a bunch of exclamation points, and we're off and rolling. In the episodes where we don't talk about recruiting for the entire thing, we want to make sure we have one segment dedicated to that. We're going to call it On the Trail because we're super creative, and we're just going to hit you with some recruiting tidbits, some thoughts um, as we go throughout this fall season and, and still monitor what Ohio State's doing. So before I rant or ask Ari if my rant is off base, Ohio State is likely to get a commitment from Bennett Christian, a 2022 tight end on Tuesday night. Um, something to monitor. I had a story up on Tuesday morning about top 10 targets for 2021, uh, working on something to analyzing the Ohio State versus Alabama race for number one, number one class in 2021. So you can look out for that. But okay, here's my rant. Or I want you to tell me if I'm off, like, if I should be, I don't know what the right word is. I'm not angry because I don't care. But I feel like Ohio State fans should be angry. Fired up. Their offensive line recruiting, I don't think, is good enough. Jagger Burton, top 100-ish guard from Kentucky, just committed to Kentucky. And that's ultimately not surprising, but I think there was some hope that Ohio State was going to get back into that recruitment in a way that they could swing Jagger. The visits didn't happen. I understand we're in a weird time, so like the, the, the weird circumstances that we're in like make me want to hold this back just a little bit. But... I feel like Ohio State loses way too many national battles for like elite offensive linemen. And I don't know how I'm supposed to absorb that information and then in turn like analyze the job that Greg Stoudraw was doing because I don't think it's good enough. And I have realized I'm saying that in a world where like Paris Johnson just signed. But I also feel like if you really dig into these recruitments, the offensive line coach is not the guy who's like hitting the home run. He's like an ancillary character at best in a lot of these major recruitments that Ohio State is is getting done when it comes to offensive linemen. Parrish Johnson, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers recruited before Stud was here. And like I think Stud has done a good job of sort of rewriting the narrative a little bit about how he recruits the state and, and build keeping relationships with his, these sort of backburner guys. And they did a good job of getting a couple last year. And I think those guys are important. But you just can't keep loading up on them. And at the moment... They just lost Jagger Burton. I don't think they're going to get Tristan Lay. So then their options are look into the state, find a three-star guy that you can develop. And I think that at every that can't other be position, the case every year, 
It can't be the case every year. And I don't understand why Like the bar seems different for offensive line recruiting, and I can't wrap my head around it. Because it would be one thing if like Greg Stoudrawa just wasn't a dynamic recruiter and, and didn't get a lot of these wins. I think there are guys who are like that, but they they sort of make up for it by being really good developers and like building first round draft picks year after year. But that's not happening either. And I looked this up and I was kind of surprised by it. He's been an offensive line coach for 22 years. Arkansas State, Bowling Green, LSU, Maryland, and now Ohio State for the last four years. 22 years, he's had nine draft picks. No first rounders. And that might change with Wyatt Davis this year. Could possibly very well change with Wyatt Davis this year. It's going to change with Ryan. I mean, yeah. I mean, he might not be a first round pick. He could be a second round pick. He's had had one second round pick, Sudrawa has. So if he's not recruiting in the way that I think he should be recruiting to be an Ohio State staff, and he hasn't had a first round offensive lineman in his entire coaching career yet, like why is he on the job? Why is it a, why is it okay to not recruit well, not make up for it with elite elite development, and then like still keep your job as the offensive line coach? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I tried to ask Ryan Day this when Ryan Day got hired, like why did you keep stud? And he sort of like ducked the question and talked about development. And I don't like I don't think it's sincere. If he's going to hang his hat on on inheriting Pat Elfline and Billy Price, that's great. And I, I'm not saying he didn't help those guys at all, but those guys have been gone for three years. And they haven't had a first-round offensive lineman. So I would say that they're not developing. At least not in the way that you should be if you're not recruiting at that level. So, like, am I off base in thinking that? I'm uh, a little in shock because you're very tempered and I'm usually the one that goes on rants like that. So I will say that I think you're very reasoned. And I, like, was in Houston before COVID happened in February. And I went to go to Donovan Jackson's high school. And I think this was before Jackson committed. It might have been after he committed. I can't remember. But when I walked in, Stud was there in Houston. And I observed him as he was recruiting. And we don't get to observe in person, like, what it's like, you know, mannerisms, intensity, smiles, vibing, you know, all the things that you can, you know, write about and read about. I thought he did an awesome job. He did a great job, and I came back and I wrote a story about like how cool it was to like actually see him in action. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. Um, I think that it's important because one name you didn't say at all was Donovan Jackson, and like that is an important person that needs to be in this conversation because he's the number 22 overall player in the 2021 class and the number one offensive guard, um, and like that's like a blue chip bona fide five-star offensive lineman from Houston like that is not an easy thing to do um he also has ties to Ohio does he not he does yeah yeah he does um and you know again I think that anybody who um recruits nationally has to find those ties so like I don't know if that's like a, a negative against him or not all I know is that he closed somebody that might not have gone to Ohio State four years ago he also closed Ben Chrisman, who is an Ohio offensive lineman, but also is in the top 120. That said... But wasn't his primary recruiter Tony Alford? Yeah. But the offensive line coach has to be... They don't They don't just recruit to Alford. You, you got to like your position coach. Like I, It has to be a part of it. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry. You know, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to paint a broader picture. Um, that said, Ohio State should be signing 
five top 250 offensive linemen a year, in my opinion. And, like, I don't know that I think that the in-state three-star offensive line haul that they had in 2020 is good for Ohio State. And I know we've had long-term discussions about that, um, or a lot of discussions about that. But last year, Ohio State took um, Trey LaRue, who wasn't even a top 1,000 player, took Jacob James, 852 overall nationally, Josh Fryer, who's from Indiana, 510 nationally, and Grant Toutant, 463. Like, is that good? Like, I know that you need to mix in three-star prospects and have people who are willing to wait and have those Gavin Cup-type players on your roster. And I'm not saying that any of these guys can't turn out to be great. Maybe they will. But that's not – this is not what Ohio State is. And I think that, like, that was fine, but I don't think that that's something that could continue. Um, And I think you need a – it's not like for every one uh, Paris Johnson that you sign, you get four of those because that's not going to work. And right now, if you go back and look since Ryan Day was the head coach, what does he have? Seven commitments from offensive linemen and only two of them are top 200 players? Or three of them, if you count Chrisman. So that the numbers are what they are. And if he's never had a first-round draft pick in 22 years, then what you're saying is right. I don't know if not getting Burton out of Lexington when he goes to Kentucky, the school that's 10 minutes from his house, is the best thing to start the springboard on. But I think if he misses on Tristan Lay, then that's what would be the thing. I don't know if this was what would have triggered me. Because like, I don't – Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, it's not the the Burton thing is I've I've thought this for a while and, and like J C Latham triggered it far more than than Jagger Burton did because yeah. it seemed like Ohio State had that one sewn up and then J C Latham goes to Alabama and again it all comes under this umbrella that it's recruiting during the pandemic and I realize that's different but it also I think in my mind like almost makes it worse or, or or makes it even more glaring of a shortcoming because at the moment you're recruiting based like solely off relationships. You don't have the wow factor that comes with an official visit. Um, you don't have like the in-person connection. It's like what what are you able to do over phone calls and Zoom and messages and like build relationships with people that can get you to land commitments and like they're not the offensive line is not happening. And I thought when they got Donovan Jackson, your story in Donovan Jackson was like Greg Sudraw was becoming a closer, and I was very interested to see if that was going to be the case because it did feel like he was starting to turn a corner a little bit. And maybe it's just terrible timing with this pandemic happening but he hasn't turned the corner and like you can't they they need a stud offensive tackle and they're not going to get one maybe donovan jackson can kick outside he's really good i think i've said before i've had conversations with people who think that donovan jackson is like the best offensive lineman in, in high school regardless of class um he's not typical tackle size but he's really good and talented maybe he could kick outside and do it and maybe that makes this less of an issue but I think like they needed to back up getting Paris Johnson last year by getting another stud offensive tackle, and they're not going to do it. And like they haven't really done it in the time that Stud's been here. Like Thayer Munford was his guy, and he banged the table to, <clears throat> table to get Thayer Munford, and that was a good recruitment and, and a good eye for talent that that Stud had. And I want to give him credit for that. But like they didn't get Jackson Carmen, they didn't get Jedrick Wills, they didn't get Trey Smith, they didn't get Rasheed Walker, Cade Mays, Darnell Wright, like all these guys that they were in the running for five star offensive tackles. They didn't get any of them. And like I just don't think it like it's it's. Why is the bar lower at that position than it is at every other position? It doesn't make any sense to me because I would argue that it's more important. 
other than quarterback. If you don't even have a good offensive line, you're not going to be a good team. I think the reason why the bar feels lower is because there have been rays of exception. And those rays of exception might be the two best offensive linemen Ohio State signed out of high school in the last decade. So, like, it's like that's, I think, the reason why he's getting a pass for the bigger picture because, I mean, Paris Johnson and Donovan Jackson, who, who which offensive linemen. But does he deserve, I guess that's my point is, like, does he deserve the credit for that? Paris Johnson felt much more to me like Ryan Day smoothing things over after the coaching transition than it had anything to do with Stud. Wyatt Davis, I don't know. I know Urban told the story about Stud parking outside of Wyatt's house because he lived in the same area in the neighborhood as Clay Helton, and maybe that's true. But that felt much more like an Urban deal than anything else. And that's typical, I guess, with some of these five-star guys. But like Ohio State's position coaches, a lot of them have shown an ability to go out and get five-star talent that's not in Ohio. Greg Chudrawa hasn't done that on his own. Yeah, I mean, like the one thing that you could say too is that anytime you land a national five-star prospect the coach has the head coach has to be a major part of that but yeah I mean I'm not trying to defend it I I think you make really good points Um, and I think when Ryan Day got hired we were all waiting to see whether Stud would stay as a result of that hire and there was a reason for that so you know Ohio State's class right now is what is it What's, what's the reason what so there's a reason that he kept them? No, no. There was a reason why we were waiting to see oh, if he right, would. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry for a misunderstanding. Um, and I think that, you know, in large part, a lot of those st- still are the same things. But I don't know how much more of a leash you give him. Like, firing assistance isn't a norm at Ohio State. So, like, I don't know how you, like, judge when it's time to move on. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. I don't think it's cost them anything. Like I, I think I, I've, I said last year, the offensive line was really good last year. Um, it was a really good pass blocking offensive line two years ago. It was a really good run blocking run blocking offensive line last year. I don't think they've yet to put together a season where like you get the total package. But clearly, there's talented players. Um, I think Greg Stuhrawa can can coach a little bit. Um, and I, I enjoy talking with him. I think he's it's why, it's why like there's a little bit of a disconnect for me. Like I'm surprised sometimes, or it feels like he's not knee deep in a recruitment or building those relationships. When like you talk to him, and he's actually kind of a personable guy, and he's like a stereotypical offensive line coach. I feel like he would like hit it off of a lot of these people, but it just doesn't seem like he he does sometimes, or at least not in a way that's going to swing swing some of these recruitments Ohio State's way. And if you are that way, like I said, and, and you're not a super dynamic recruiter, like and that's I think that can be okay. Then you got to make up for it with developing first round talent, and they're not doing that either, or he hasn't done that to this point in his career. And I'm just like a little bit on alert for like what this could mean long term for Ohio State's offensive line, especially a tackle, because these misses at that position feel like they keep stacking up. Yeah, I uh, I don't know when Tristan Lay's recruitment took a turn because for a while there it looked like Ohio State was in a good spot, and I think that's kind of been the mo a little bit, right? With some of these guys, Ohio State's in a good spot, Ohio State's in a good spot, Ohio State's in a good spot. And then overnight, it's just like they're not anymore. And, like, I don't know why that happens. Um, and I don't, I can't identify why Tristan Lay no longer is considering Ohio State as much as he was a month ago when you wrote the story about how he might be their most important remaining target. And, like, he's not visiting. And, yes, he went to Sooner Summit, which was in Oklahoma, but, like, the two um, – teams in his recruiting profile right now that seem to be 
leading the way here are LSU and Clemson. So, like, I don't know if the phone calls aren't his strength. I think we both have heard that he's not hitting the phones as hard as some of the other assistants. Uh, Maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know if I'm making too big of a deal out of this, and maybe I am. And I don't want to be, but it like to me, it's like very glaring that they're not winning as enough battles, or battles they should be winning in offensive line recruiting. I don't think you're making too big of a deal of it, and it's not like it's new. I mean, this has been an ongoing discussion. So, yeah, and I just thought it was changing, and now like I'm I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah, the JC. It's just so strange that it's happening at a time where we can't identify like how do the visits go like you know what i mean like where are they going are they accessible it's all done over the phone right now and maybe it's just harder for him to do it over the phone yeah yeah i think that could be it and we'll see what happens with, with the 22 class i think i still really like donovan jackson like i said i like ben chrisman um tegra teshabola another in-state kid in 2022 i, I like as well um but I, I would really like to see ohio state go out and get a five-star offensive tackle from somewhere other than Ohio or someone who doesn't have ties to Ohio, like really go win a national battle. Yeah. You uh, really started off the uh, recruiting segment of this podcast with some hot flames. Dude. Was like, yeah. I don't know how we're going to be able to keep up the standard of that, but it's called On the Trail. On the Trail. On yeah. the Trail with Bill and Ari. On the Trail. That's on fire with Bill coming and Ari. To a, coming to a fast food <laughs> joint near you. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll wrap up there because we're getting over we're over an hour here. Uh, next week, I think we're, uh, the the plan we want to get on is maybe doing a mailbag every other week. So we did one last week. We didn't do one this week. Obviously, we'll do one next week. If you want to send in questions for the mailbag, you can do so either by leaving us a five star review on Apple and putting a questionnaire, or subscribing to the to the athletic theathletic slash four six get you forty percent off, and then you can leave uh, your questions there. We'll put a call out for questions. Subscribers see that, and we'll get to them in next week's episode. Thank you for listening. We'll monitor whatever the hell is happening with the president and the Big Ten, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts.